I'm Chad Main, the founder of Legal Services Company Recipient, and this is Technically Legal, a podcast about legal technology and innovation in the legal industry. On today's show, we're talking to attorneys Eric Baker and Michael Case about their new startup, Transaction Expediters. It's a contract review platform for the transportation industry. On today's show, we're talking about a topic near and dear to my heart, ALSPs, or Alternative Legal Service Providers. Specifically, we're talking about Transaction Expediters. That's an AI-enabled contract review platform for the transportation industry. Over the last couple of years, there's been a lot of talk about the interplay between law firms and ALSPs. Should law firms use them? And if so, should they create their own? My guests today, Eric Baker and Michael Case, are two attorneys with Frost, Braun, and Todd. They, along with a colleague of theirs, Stacey Katz, founded Transaction Expediters. But at the time they started thinking about creating the company, they weren't specifically thinking about creating ALSP or whether or not it should be created within the law firm. They just wanted to create a more efficient solution for their transportation clients to deal with all the contracts they were getting day in and day out. In the end, they ended up creating an ALSP within their law firm, though. I'm really excited to have Eric and Mike on the podcast because not only is Eric a close law school buddy of mine, but having the two of them on the podcast is bringing it full circle. Because some of the tech they use at Transaction Expediters is the Contract AI Engine Legal Sifter, a company we had on the show back on episode 15 in 2018. Both Eric and Mike kind of did a reverse legal career. They were both in-house and then joined a law firm. For many years, Eric was GC of moving services at logistics company Serva. While the name Serva may not ring a bell immediately, you know the company. It owns North American van lines and Allied van lines. After Serva, Eric became GC of another transportation company, CRST, I'm sure most all of you out there have seen CRST trucks on the road. Now, Michael Case may have one of the most unlikely journeys into legal tech that I have run into doing this podcast. For the first part of his legal career, he was a deputy attorney general in the state of Indiana, and he prosecuted elected official and state employees on behalf of the Indiana State Board of Accounts for regulatory compliance violations and accounting irregularities. After a stint with the government, Mike moved in-house for an insurance company that was writing a lot of insurance for transportation trucking companies, and that's when he met Eric. So to start our conversation, I had to ask him, how does he go from being a deputy attorney general to becoming a GC and running claims at an insurance company? There actually is a connection. I mean, some of my clients, when I was in the public sector, I actually represented the Department of Insurance as one of my clients. And so it gave me a, a unique perspective as how the government regulates the industry. And so then when I became part of the industry, it was easier for me to navigate through the various regulations that are out there. From the insurance world, you come to Frost Brown. How'd that happen? I was looking to take my experience from the risk side, the insurance industry, and bring that experience and expertise back to the practice of law. I met Eric Baker, and we started talking about how we could change the way the industry looks at risk and deals with risk. And the his unique background and mine was a unique combination of the trucking industry from Eric's perspective and then my perspective from the risk side. We were primarily an insurance company that insured the trucking industry. So we insured large fleets all across the U.S. You know, our biggest customers are the trucks you see on the, the highway every single day. You know, FedEx Ground, uh, Old Dominion, uh, on and on. It's, uh, you know, large fleets primarily. Yeah, so Mike and I met actually, like he's Mike said, we actually went to lunch one day and uh, we'd met through a mutual client actually. And we were talking about, I was really interested in meeting Mike because of his insurance background. 
because one of the things that I identified as a major issue in the transportation industry that was becoming a more, you know, every day it was becoming more and more of a major issue, and that was risk and what was happening with respect to how that risk was being transferred between the parties in transportation, meaning shippers, what we call freight brokers, and motor carriers. And that risk was being moved around, being pushed to one and pushed back and so on. The challenge with that was what I could see happening was that risk was the most misunderstood piece of transportation that motor carriers and shippers and freight brokers were reviewing. And they knew about fuel. They knew about maintenance of trucks. They knew about drivers. They knew how to manage those to the best of their ability. But when it came to risk, they weren't very good at managing it and even knowing how to look at it. And so then when I heard about Mike, he and I got together for lunch and I was telling him this. And I said, you know, look, your experience, you know risk. You not only know it from the standpoint of like what a truck accident might look like or what a cargo damage claim might look like. When that event happens, you understand how it manifests all the way up through the underwriters, the people actually writing the check at the end of the day and how they view it and then how they start to view the industry. And so I said, you know, if we can put our heads together and start looking at this from your perspective and my perspective, then I think that's a pretty powerful combination that we can go out into the industry and make a change. So let's back up a second there too. So you were in-house and in GC for yeah was trucking logistics companies, CRST, before that Serva. So then you go into private practice before you launch uh, transaction expeditors. Talk about a day in the life. What type of stuff were you doing in your practice? Because it's kind of unique. Again, bringing in the perspective that I was bringing in, having been in-house counsel for two of the major transportation companies in the U.S., I was coming into a law firm with a completely different perspective on how to benefit clients. And it was more from a corporate perspective. A lot of what I was seeing when I was in-house as a general counsel was I was getting legal responses to questions, but I wasn't really receiving any information or guidance on how to implement that. And I was naive thinking that it was not because the attorneys didn't understand necessarily what the corporate world was like. Their world was purely legal. They could give me the response, the legal response, but then it was purely legal response, and it was usually 100% risk-free, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so that doesn't work in the business world. Everybody in business takes a certain amount of risk. And that's when I began to understand that Nobody's looking at it correctly. Nobody's. It's we'll, going, we'll keep, business in general or business, specific business and trucking. Business, no, I, oh well. My experiences in transportation and logistics, I would make the assumption that that extends through all industries. So, but my experiences in transportation and logistics, and I saw that it wasn't happening there, and I was made painfully aware that that was the case. Every time, every year, it seemed premiums, insurance premiums started to go up significantly. And to where insurance is one of the top three expense items on a P&L for any transportation or logistics company. So, you know, I'm identifying this 
not fully understanding how that risk plays out after the contract gets signed, after an accident, and that's where Mike's experience comes in. I can talk to Mike about, hey, this is what I was seeing from an operational perspective, from an in-house counsel perspective. The answers I'm getting from law firms aren't necessarily helping me address some of these issues. They're addressing a specific legal issue, but not, not the, the tangential or bigger scoped view of it. And that's when Mike and I started talking, and his experience was extremely valuable to get for even me understanding that risk. And I think, you know, Mike was able to, I think, I hope, talking to me from the, hey, Mike, when you would see these claims come in, when you would see this insurance, these insurance uh, triggers come in, this is what was happening at the company. This is what we were doing with our clients. What were you guys doing with it afterwards? What did that look like to you? What did it look like to the insurance brokers you were working with? What did it look like to the underwriters? And how were you managing those insurance events when when you guys got them in-house? And so that was the power that I think we brought as a team in being able to have that sort of full picture of risk all the way from the beginning of contracts through to um, how those claims were being concluded by the underwriters. So you're both at a major law firm doing legal work, being lawyers. When does the idea for transaction expediters arise and what was the genesis? It actually came about, we were working on a large project for a large transportation logistics company, reviewing contracts. And What kind of contracts? They were the typical transportation agreements that you see, you know, commonly negotiated on third-party paper. They had a backlog and they had sent us, you know, a couple dozen agreements to be, you know, go through and review and redline for them. And as I was working through them, it suddenly struck me that there's got to be a better way for companies to process and understand the risks and liabilities that are shifting in these agreements. So set it up. Talk about the players generally of these agreements you're talking about for logistics and transportation. So you have a shipper, right? Someone who wants to move something from point A to point B. The contracts that Mike's talking about were freight broker agreements. And um, so oftentimes shippers, they have two options. They can work directly with motor carriers, the ones who own the assets, the trucks, to move whatever it is they want to move from point A to point so, B. So Acme, Acme Inc. widgets can deal directly with, with the companies or they can go through the broker. Or they can then hire, they can work with a freight broker who will essentially take their shipping needs and then try to find people or companies that can meet them, companies with the assets. So the freight broker has relationships with a couple hundred different motor carriers from whom they contact or, you know, that they contact to move shippers' product from point A to point B. And so do the brokers have a relationship with independent operators all the way up to They can, yes, absolutely. Yeah, they can. Mm -hmm. Okay, so you've got all these contracts. You're going through it. They're behind the eight ball. What about this process puts the light bulb in your head and say, oh, we could automate this? Yeah, so stepping back a little bit. So in, in, it, during my time in the insurance industry, we constantly were looking for ways to innovate and use people, process, and technology to improve uh, how we, uh, the company's performance. You know, first you need to 
figure out how to measure your people. You need to collect data. You need to analyze it and then implement certain types of tech that speed up the process, make it more efficient, eliminate inefficiencies. And what I noticed quickly was the practice of law was sort of lagging behind, that we haven't embraced technology as much as we should. And there were tools out there that could help us you know, automate some of these manual processes. Because in the claims world, it was kind of death by a thousand paper cuts. And you had to like, if you could move the, the needle a little bit at a time in the aggregate, you saw big results. And I thought to myself, we probably have thousands of people around the U.S. looking at these agreements, struggling with them. They're trying to do it all manual. Specifically, these transportation agreements that you were dealing with. And it is a manual process, by and large. You know, the traditional way of dealing with it, you might hand it off to a lawyer. That lawyer has to go through it line by line and, you know, figure out what needs to be done. So I thought, how do we bring some sort of technology solution to help the reviewer speed up the process? And that's really how the, the original idea came to be. If you meet somebody at a party and you want to pitch transaction expediters, what's, what's, the, what's your spiel? What do you tell them you do? How do you describe the company? Well, I would say that, you know, we are an AI-enabled company that's led by a team of professionals with deep experience in the insurance and risk and transportation verticals. You know, we partner with trucking companies and insurance providers and brokers to basically empower them to have a tool that helps solve some of the, the common issues around processing these types of contracts. You know, they're, they're complicated agreements. They're hard to understand. There's a lot of moving pieces in them. You say they're complicated, but are they that different from agreement to agreement? Because they're stuff being shipped every day and there's a lot of companies out there. Well, every company basically needs to ship their stuff. How different are these agreements? So what we started doing is when Mike was talking about that project, we were, the three of us, uh, Stacy Katz, who's not here today, as a partner of ours. And so the three of us were working on this project. And the one thing, Stacy and I, Stacy was also general counsel at a large uh, transportation company and has reviewed thousands of these types of agreements. And what we collectively sort of, it was one of those epiphany moments, you know, again, even for ourselves included, you know, we ask our clients for our transaction expediters clients to take a look at what they do and not to go through their life just mechanically. That's what we started to do. And so, and the reason why I say that is because it became clear to us when, when a client gives you 50, 60 agreements to review and says, hey, get me caught up as soon as you can. And that's all you're doing for two months. You see the pattern emerge. And that is pattern the, in the, contracts. The, the pattern in the contracts, right? So it's the concepts that are consistent over the three types of agreements that we really focused on initially, at which, are? which are shipper motor carrier agreements. Those are where the shipper works directly with the motor carrier. The shipper freight broker agreement, where the shipper asks a third party to procure transportation for them. And then the freight broker motor carrier agreement that the freight brokers enter into with the motor carriers that they're procuring on behalf of the shipper. So we focused on those three, and then we started going through and identifying all the concepts that are relative and consistent 
across those agreements. So it could be there are concepts that are contract type specific, but then there are several, a lot of them are consistent across all three. And so once we identified those, then we organized them and then started finding as many examples of these types of agreements as we could to see how those concepts were expressed in multiple ways throughout these agreements. So one contract may say something about, you know, force majeure in one way. The concept is still coming through in in another agreement. They're just saying it slightly different. And so we collected hundreds of examples. And this is before you guys had actually decided we are going to launch a company that uses automation and people to get through this. Well, so it is, yes. But it was this project where we're seeing, I mean. Why did you do it? Did you do it with maybe the thought in mind that you were going to launch a company like this? Or did you do it just to figure out what was there and see the patterns? No, I think, as Mike said, we did it. The thing that drove us initially was, look, we need to figure out a different way to help clients that is more efficient and more economical for them. To hire multiple attorneys to review these agreements really isn't in the client's best interest to do that. And the point in case is this client had 20,000 agreements that they would see every year. I was going to ask, on average, what's your best guess? Like, How many contracts like this does that company enter into in a year? So from my experience, the larger clients that I have can have several thousand to 10, 15, 20,000 agreements. They may only send to me, you know, five contracts a year to review. Now, are these contracts such you enter into them every time you send a shipment? Uh, no, not always. Sometimes it is. That's called spot rate market. Sometimes they're contracts that they can do for an individual shipment. Most of those are handled a little differently than a contract, but there are a lot of companies out there. The larger companies are dealing with thousands of agreements. And so there's such a volume coming in that even their internal contracts review people and their attorneys can't keep up. At what point in this exercise were you taking a look at your client's contracts, trying to find the patterns, find the similarities, the differences? At what point do you guys decide, oh, you know what? We should start thinking about launching a company, a tech-based company to, to help deal with this. Actually, it's interesting, Chad, because the day that we met with you in Chicago, I think you were the first one that introduced us to our technology partner, Legal Sifter. I remember that day very well. We were sitting there in a Starbucks yep. uh, in downtown yep. Chicago, and you said, hey, we have access to this software program that reviews commercial contracts. And I remember we sent you an agreement there on the spot. You ran it through the system and showed us that it instantly identified what was in the agreement and what was missing. And it really was that moment in time that I saw the power of the tech and it started the idea. And when we were driving back that day, we actually were thinking, there's something here. Yeah, that's why I was excited to get you guys on because I mentioned this to Eric is, so Legal Sifter, we've had them on the podcast and it's just cool because it now the guests I've had on the podcast are coming full circle. But the other cool thing too is, you know, you guys told me you were thinking about this very early on. I saw it come to fruition. And like I mentioned to Eric, so many times people talk about doing stuff and they don't actually follow through than you guys did. So I think that, that's cool. Well, and, you know, my experience with you, Chad, even when I was in-house and, and using Percipient, 
we're doing something very similar and seeing the same results from the standpoint of we're using tech to take a very laborious project that doesn't make sense for law firms to always be the ones doing it. There are contracts out there that it absolutely makes sense, you know, to have a very experienced attorney reviewing. But if we think about those numbers I threw out, a client may be getting 10,000 agreements in a year to look at or to review. It doesn't make sense for them to send that out to a law firm. In fact, they don't do that. Same thing when we were, you know, I remember working with you on a big discovery matter. And you were able to do it, to do that discovery review in a third of the time and for a third of the cost the company would have incurred if we would have taken a traditional path. So let's talk about that. And, and the reason we're able to do that, obviously, you're talking about here is the tech. It's tech and people. Not, it's not all tech. It's no right. easy, but right. it's tech and people. It's using the right tech and the right process for the job. So let's talk about the process. How do your customers interact with you? They get these contracts or from, from a shipper or they're dealing with the broker, a freight broker directly. They have these contracts. They send them to you. What happens? What's the, what, what are the steps? You mean once we get them past the fear of hearing the AI acronym? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> because I remember even when you were telling me about it, it was even getting my head conceptually around what you were telling me was challenging for me initially uh, until I saw it. And so how we will start working with clients is we will start talking to them We'll have an initial meeting and we'll just, we'll do nothing but understand what their backgrounds are. Then we'll start talking to them about what their day is like from a contract review perspective, the volume, what kind of, how many people do they have working on that? Where do they see the bottlenecks? Trying to get a better understanding of that before we even start talking to them about the software tools and services that we provide. We have to really get them comfortable talking to us about those processes or at least start thinking about it. And then that's when we can come in and in the initial meeting and, and show them, hey, this is what our software does. And this is what it would look like to you. And this is how we could see you using it internally. But that's a short piece of that presentation. And then, you know, it takes multiple follow-up presentations to working with them to tease that process out again, the internal processes that they're facing to tease out the pain points that they may be experiencing. And sometimes we're learning things, and they are too, that they never thought of. Um, we're seeing the software tool and services now, especially the tool itself, being used as an educational tool, not just a software contract. How so? Give an example. Reviewing contracts is not fun. It's boring. It's tedious. It's and it's the, we talked about the concepts earlier. The concepts that are in the agreement, those are the easy ones because they're right there in front of you. But if we recognize that there are 100 different concepts potentially in one of these agreements, and there are 50 of them that may be in the agreement, but there's 50 that aren't. And so that can be the challenging piece is identifying what isn't in the agreement. That needs to be. That needs to be. From your the, client's the, perspective. The, from the client's perspective, right? And so when they're trying to hire young people coming in from uh, or anybody to do contracts review for them, 
they have to start teaching them these hundred concepts. There are not a lot of people out there that have this expertise in reviewing contracts, and it takes time. It's not necessarily intuitive. But the way we've structured our software, there's help text embedded, there's sample language, and we can customize that to the client's contract playbook. We call it playbook. And so whatever is important to the client, we can embed into the software, and then they can use that as training material for these people that they're bringing in to do contracts reviews. And it also allows their experienced reviewers, you know, on a Friday at a three o'clock in the afternoon, it's going to help them remember, oh, yes, I need to make sure that's included, or no, we can't accept that, or no, our limit. Well, and the software will point out to you, too, this stuff is missing. Yes, absolutely. It'll say, hey, you got these 50, but these 50 are missing. Yes, that's exactly right, yes. Another piece we hear a lot is the trucking companies may feel like they don't have any negotiating power in the marketplace. And even if they review the agreement, there's nothing they can do to change the terms and conditions. And, you know, for us, that's presented a a new opportunity to basically, you know, allow them to see things, identify the seeds of risks that are there, because it's the one contract that has that, you know, provision in it that could ultimately end up costing you a lot of money. Could you at least identify those risks and know which contracts more or less don't, you know, present that risk and which ones do? And just changing the behavior and how we look at contracts is very important to us as well. Even if you can't negotiate all the terms, it's better to understand the risks and also understand the insurance provisions that are contained in that contract and whether or not you have the types of insurance coverage that will protect you in the event of a claim or a loss. So it opens up choices to the, the, the motor carriers and the freight brokers because once they understand their risk, And like Mike said, if they can't negotiate it, they understand it. So now they can either choose not to accept the agreement. They can choose to go to their insurance broker and try to procure more insurance. They can choose to accept the risk as is. But they have choices. And and, and a lot of times, you know, they're not reaching out to lawyers for the advice. Well, because a lot of times you can't. It's not economically feasible. It it doesn't make sense. Well, in the moment, it's not economically (laughs) feasible. But who they do go to is the insurance world. And so what we saw in the insurance world is they would present their contracts to us, ask us to review them and comment. But they also go to their insurance broker. Those are trusted advisors. And, you know, they, they try to do their best, but they're sort of limited on the types of advice they can give. You know, typically what you see is an insurance broker will say, well, yeah, you have this type of insurance and the limits are correct. But then the, the question from the customer is always, well, what about this other provision? And, and that's where the insurance brokers and the insurance industry can't really provide that next answer. But the, what they are looking for is a tool to help that customer navigate through those issues. And up to this point, there really hasn't been a a tool available to the industry to help answer that second question or the third question. When we come back, Eric and Mike tell us how their clients interact with transaction expediters and how creating the right relationship between law firm, alternative legal service provider, and client benefits all three. We're going to get back to my conversation with Eric and Mike in just a second, but I wanted to let you know that for every episode of Technically Legal at tealpodcast.com, there's a dedicated episode page with more information about our guests and links to some of the stuff we talked about. 
Also, if you want to subscribe, you can find us pretty much everywhere you get your podcasts. And if you like us enough, and if you like what you're hearing today about Eric and Mike's startup journey, I hope you tell a friend and give us a favorable review. All right, let's get back to my conversation with Eric Baker and Michael Case, two of the founders of Transaction Expediters. So you've had these initial conversations with your client. You understand the processes, the, the contracts they're seeing. You've got to hold their playbook. How do you interact from the customer at that point? They made the decision, we are going to use transaction expediters to handle these contracts. What, how, how does it work on a day-to-day basis? We have our you know, out-of-the-box concepts listed, and we, we have what we have identified that we believe is important in these agreements from the standpoint of we looked at it from a revenue perspective and a risk perspective. So any, any concept that would affect revenue, any concept that was related to risk, those we prioritized. And there are multiple concepts in those buckets. But Stacy will work and her team will work with the client in further refining that, what's important to them. We will ask the client, the large clients who have playbooks, if they want their playbooks, you know, embedded into the review, the software. And I've already cleared up before. The playbook, we should probably yes. state, is the company's generally accepted contractual clauses that they, they go yes, with yes. or try to negotiate for. Yeah. Right, the positions they want to take, which could include, you know, this is the level of coverage or insurance we have in place for, for different kinds of events and so on. So we can put that in there, and that's what Stacy's working with them on. So a customer or a client of transaction expediters can, they can use our product right out of the box. Or, and that's what the larger clients are tending to do, is fully customize it and tell us what's important. And then that's, Stacy will work with them. And that, that can take, you know, quite a bit of time to really get it to where it's fully customized for them. And it's not necessarily because it takes a long time to make changes to the software and implement that piece on our side. It just takes a long time for people who have never used a technology like this to really think about what's important. What have we done culturally as a company with our contracts? And the crazy thing is that's usually never been discussed and it can be all over the board within companies. And so it really... It takes some time up front for them to really define what it is that's important to them from revenue, risk, contracts terms, uh, insurance terms, those types of things. It can take them a little bit of time, but Stacy's really good at working with them to direct them and, and help them figure out what that is. And then so once they've done that, once they've got the software in a position they like, so how do they get you the contracts? Are they emailing them to you? Are they using the, the software directly? It's a yeah, web-based service. They can simply upload the agreement right off their desktop into the application. The application then quickly reviews the software or the, the agreement. It may take 30 to 90 seconds, depending on how long the agreement is. Then it pops up. It shows them what's been found in the agreement. It shows you what's missing. It has help text. So it has examples of, of contract language that could be used. It has explanations of concepts that are found or missing in the agreement. And then they can basically work their way through the agreement, paragraph by paragraph, concept by concept, and understand what's there, what's missing, decide whether they want to keep it in, leave it out, put in new language. Once they're sort of done with this process, 
you upload the agreement out of the application, it goes straight into a Word document, and then you can forward that Word document on to now, whoever Now, at you what want. point, because as we talked about today, the three of you have substantial expertise in the transportation and insurance world. At what point do your people become involved? It's got to step out of tech because maybe there's a, there's a uniqueness about the contract or how and when does that happen and how do you help them there? Transaction Expeditors isn't just a software company. It's a software company that we use to empower our people, our team. And a lot of companies want us to do, actually do the redlining for them. So they'll just send us the agreement and they can either upload it and we can access it through their link or they can send it to us. But we're using it in the same manner that our clients can use it as well. And so, again, it's, the thought is we can be an overflow resource for them. And because we've worked with them, because we know what their corporate culture is when it comes to concepts that can be accepted by the company, and we've worked with their people, and their people could be the owner of the company. Some of the companies, you know, the contracts are being reviewed by the owner right. or the owner's... Because um, some of the companies are not huge. I mean, you do right, that's a lot exactly of big right. companies, but then a lot of times they're not. Right. I tell this to everybody. You know, it's of the 770,000 registered motor carriers in the U.S., 95% of them have 25 trucks or less. A lot of times they just want to send us the agreement and have us redline it and send it back to them. And then when they're in discussions with the with their shipping client, they can use the help text that Mike was talking about and understand why it's important to them. And so that's another way that they can work with us is, hey, you know, I love the software, but I want to send it to you and have your team redline it for me. And so that's one way. The larger clients, they'll use us for overflow. And there's Really, they couldn't have a partner that understands them better than what we do because of just by the nature of the right. process that we work with them right. up front. Another way to think about it is we basically offer a self-service solution, partial service, or full service. You know, if you want to just buy the software from us, use it yourself, we can either you can either use our software straight out of the box, it can be customized, and it's a self-service solution. We also have partial service. We provide a help desk where if they have questions about the application, about certain business concepts, we can help them along the way in their journey. Or if they want a full ser service solution, they just hand over the agreements. We'll redline. Which is still, but it's still you. less expensive than hiring yes. Absolutely. a straight attorney in the traditional manner and looking at the agreement and redline it because you guys are using software, so you're saving time and money. Right. And at some point, it can it can move over into where they need an attorney. Because right, right. there could be a clause in there that's Absolutely. just unique to that particular situation. That's exactly that, right. Yeah. And, then, and, and then we can provide them uh, a solution there as well. And that kind of raises another point. Since we're owned by a law firm, there is a value add. So if they need that advice, if they need the legal piece, we also can add that to the solution. You know, like, ask a lawyer. And help them, you know, connect them to uh, transportation specialists that can then dive into their individual specific legal needs. Because it's also important to know that Transaction Expeditors is not a law firm and we don't give legal advice. So I'm glad you brought that up. That's a good segment because this is the next area that I wanted to get into. What you guys have created here, and many law firms talk about doing it, and they don't 
they just talk about it. A lot of times it's just hype. What you've created here is a very unique alternative legal service provider. It's what yes, you guys have created. Right, absolutely. And that's, you know, that's an that's a ALSP. It's a buzzword now. I mean, my company's an ALSP, but doing different stuff. You guys have created a very specific focused ALSP within a law firm. Yeah, you didn't. You didn't do this independently. You were you, you were practicing lawyers at Frost Brown and Todd. So talk about that. How did you convince your partners at the firm that this is a good idea and they should buy into this and support you when you're doing stuff a little bit more efficiently? Maybe not the same rates as traditional legal work. Well, I, yeah. I mean, as you can imagine, you know, law firms are built on a model that you know bill hours and there's been a way of doing business for a hundred years. So introducing an alternative legal service provider concept to them, at first, you know, we, as you would expect, there was some resistance, you know, of kind of like a lot of questions, probably more than anything else of like, what is it? How does this work? Are you going to take legal work away from us that we currently have? But, it, but at some level, isn't the response that maybe a little bit, right? But the benefit is you're going to get additional business you wouldn't have other gotten, right? Right. So pointing out the little bit, that's the key because it's, as we mentioned, the clients that we're working with, they can have 10 to 20,000 agreements a year. And if you remember, they might send me five a year, a client that big. So that means there are you know 19,995 agreements that they're either trying to review internally or that are not getting reviewed. Some percentage of those aren't getting reviewed. They're not going to send it out to legal counsel. Now they have an option. Now they have a way to review those agreements more quickly, more efficiently, the client. And who brought it to them? You know, a law firm brought it to them because they were thinking about the pain that they were having. And so when you explained that, when there's these questions or maybe a little pushback, was that accepted? Or what was the response when you explained that, yeah, it might take a little bit of business, but in the big picture, it's going to give us business? Yeah, actually, the response, the initial response was fairly favorable. Um, and, and the law firm had been thinking about AI in particular and how to embrace it. So it wasn't a totally new idea. And certainly the idea of alternative legal service providers wasn't a new idea to them. And so they, they saw us as a way to help the law firm continue the innovation pattern that they were already on and enhance what they were currently doing. And, you know, first, it, you know, it took a little bit of time and, and, you know, like law firms are built with a lot of committees and, you know, partners. So, you know, working your way through that bureaucracy took a little bit of time. But once you had like the buyout from the executive leadership team, you know, things went fairly smoothly. You know, I, there were a lot of conversations about what work does the firm want? So one of my jobs as a team member was to talk to them about what it was like being in-house counsel, and I would never send you this stuff to review. I would have to justify going to CEO to spend the kind of right. money to get these agreements reviewed. You will never get that work, ever. But the work I do want to give you is the substantial, the, you know, the substantive work. Right. And that is when having those conversations with the firm and bringing that 20 plus years of in-house experience to them and, and helping them understand the view of a GC, a general counsel or a, or a VP of contracts, I think helped them understand, oh, okay, 
we would never have gotten this work from you, even though there was a substantial amount of it. But we we will get your intellectual property work. We will get your M&A work. We will get your employment work. Those are the things that a law firm really wants. That's what they really want. I'm glad you brought that up because I think it's an overlooked angle on this too. People say, well, you're going to take away billable hour time. But this is work you probably wouldn't, not number one, in this situation, you would have gotten. But number two, a lot of law firms don't want this work at their usual rates and with their, you know, with their usual resources. But then this offers a solution where you can take on this work and it's not burdening anything and you're not having to discount your rate in, in other areas. It's a revenue stream they would never have seen. And that's where the firms don't are, are missing that perspective. And so you just mentioned like, all right, we're gonna, we want to get your labor and employment work. You are, we want to get your M&A work. We want to get your IP work. How do you communicate that to your clients that, hey, the transaction experts clients, how do you communicate that value add to them that, you know, we can do this other stuff too? Well, that'll come up naturally in a conversation, but I can tell you when I was a general counsel from my own experience, and I know Mike um, had similar experiences in his role as general, not only COO, but general counsel of the company where he came from. If a law firm is bringing me a solution to a major problem I have, that builds an incredible amount of trust. So people want to work with other people that they trust. They want to be in relationship with them. And so the other work, the substantive work, when I have an employment issue come up, I'm going to think about the people, the firm that I trust. Right. Because they brought me a solution that wasn't one that, that I saw benefiting them solely. It brought huge benefit to me. And it brought a business benefit to me. That's a great point. That's a, that's a great point. Mike, Eric, thanks for your time today. If people want to learn more about transaction expeditors, where do they go? Come visit us online at www.transactionexp.com. And if they want to get a hold of you guys individually, how do they find you? They can find us either on transactionexp.com or Frost Brown Todd website. Well, that's a wrap for today's episode. As always, we really appreciate you listening. As I mentioned earlier, if you want to find us, you can find us on most major podcast platforms. So you can subscribe there. And if you like us enough, give us a good review. Thanks again for listening. This has been Technically Legal. Stay safe out there. <laughs>